the two bills really are very close to each other. There's not a great deal of difference. Uh, we need to take the best parts of both bills and uh, marry them together and present our colleagues in both chambers with our final product. Welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Adam Davidson. Today is Tuesday, May 25th. That was Senate Banking Committee Chairman Chris Dodd, you heard at the top, talking about how long it will take the House and Senate to reach a compromise bill on financial regulatory reform. And that Senate bill is the focus of today's podcast. Get ready, ladies and gentlemen, for 1,500 pages of regulatory reform. Um, hey, Adam. Yeah. I think you're supposed to make it sound a little exciting at the beginning. Didn't you hear what I just said? 1,500 pages of regulatory reform. <laughs> I did hear what you said, but I think we want to spice it up a little bit. Like something like, today on the podcast, how one tiny section that you've never heard of in the Senate's massive financial overhaul might be the single most important piece of legislation the entire year. I'm not quite convinced that you spiced it up at all. <laughs> all right. Well, listeners, you have only yourselves to blame. You are, after all, listening to the Planet Money podcast. Exactly. And I think we know our listeners. We know that they want this. They want 1,500 pages of regulatory reform broken up into podcast-sized chunks. So today we're taking a particularly crucial chunk of the bill that the Senate passed last week, and we're going to try and figure out whether it actually does what people are claiming it does. Specifically, when it comes to one claim about ending a certain street's uh, certain type of ride. When this bill becomes law, the joyride on Wall Street will come to a screeching halt. That was Senator Harry Reid talking about what the legislation will do. And today, what we want to do is figure out, is he right? Is it true? Is the joyride on Wall Street over? And if it is, what will things look like? But first, Adam, as you know, it is time for the Planet Money Indicator, brought to us by our very own Jacob Goldstein. Jacob, what do you got for us? Today's indicator is 3.2%. May I ask 3.2% of what? Home prices fell 3.2% in the first three months of this year. That's according to the Case-Shiller Index numbers that came out this morning. In other words, even when the federal government was actually paying people to buy houses with big tax credits. And the Federal Reserve was spending more than a trillion dollars to push down mortgage rates. Even then, it wasn't enough to get housing prices to rise. Now, I should add a caveat here that housing prices, according to Kay Schiller, did rise over the whole of the past year, even though they went down a bit at the beginning of this year. And it, it seems reasonable to expect that prices could fall some more because both that tax credit and the Fed programs are, are now finished. All right. So, um, Jacob, um, why, don't you, why don't you stick around uh, because we're going to give you your debut later in the podcast as part of the Planet Money Players patented financial explanatory radio drama. It's about time. All right. Excellent. The drama today focuses on this question. Is the joyride on Wall Street over? And on Wall Street, there is probably no better joyride than proprietary trading. Uh, proprietary trading, there's been a lot of talk about the so-called Volcker Rule, named after the legendary Fed chairman who tamed inflation in the 80s. His idea is ban proprietary trading at government-insured banks, which at this point is most banks on Wall Street. So we've dealt with prop trading in the past on the podcast, but to review, let's go to scene one inside a Wall Street bank. I'm Adam, a broker, that means I buy and sell stocks and bonds on behalf of my clients. Like me, I am Alex, a friendly but slightly doddering and overly trusting pension fund manager, 
and Adam's client. And I'm Jacob, a prop trader. Uh, we're going to find out what I do in one second. All right, guys, let's begin the scene. Adam, my good friend and broker, I would like you to buy 100,000 shares of Acme Incorporated for me. And I trust, of course, you will get me the best price possible. You can totally trust me. I'm a big shot Wall Street broker, and my job is to get you the best possible price. Excellent. Thank you, my man. I will see you later. Hey, Adam, I saw Alex was in here. What's he up to? Oh, you know, he was buying 100,000 shares of Acme Incorporated. Why, why are you asking? That's dynamite information for me to have. See, my job is to buy and sell stocks on behalf of us, on behalf of our bank. So now that I know that Alex is about to buy a bunch of Acme stock, that'll send the price higher, right? So what I can do is sneak in real quick. The stock's trading at nine ninety nine right now. I'll buy a bunch of it. After you put Alex's order in, that should send the price up to 10 bucks a share. I'll sell what I got and make a fast buck. But that would hurt Alex, who's my client. You would buy the stocks before Alex, which would raise the price, and Alex would then pay a higher price for that stock. Look, man, it's only a penny a share. He'll never know the difference, and he totally trusts you. How are you going to make money if you're only getting one cent a share? That's what I don't understand. Listen, there are a thousand brokers like you. I'm doing this all day long, making all kinds of trades, millions of shares. Those pennies add up to real money. All right, now let's break character here. Excellent job, guys. Uh, and we're going to analyze what we have just described in this little scene. Every Wall Street bank will tell you that that little drama doesn't really happen. They say there's something called a Chinese wall that separates the brokers like Adam, who are supposed to get good prices for the clients, from the bank's own proprietary traders like Jacob, who are supposed to make money trading for the bank. Every bank on Wall Street says they are careful to keep the two sides apart, that their brokers would never take advantage of their clients, even for a ton of pennies a share. But I got to say, when you know people on Wall Street, when you talk to people on Wall Street, as we do, it's sort of an open secret that something like this probably does happen. In fact, uh, not that long ago, I was at this event at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. I was asking these finance professors, what is the biggest mystery in finance? And one of them said that the biggest mystery he can think of is why in the world does anyone ever use investment bank brokers? Why would anyone trust them to simultaneously serve their clients' interests and trade on their own account? It's such a conflict of interest that it defies common sense that investment banks wouldn't figure out how to take advantage of it. But Adam, you know, there's actually another and possibly bigger problem with proprietary trading. And um, I think that brings us to act two of our drama. And in this act, I will be playing a different role. I'm going to be a depositor. I have a savings account at your bank, and I've managed to save up $100,000. I put it in my bank account for safekeeping and entered Jacob, who is still a prop trader. Listen, I got this amazing investment opportunity, Greek government bonds, paying a fortune in interest, almost no risk. I want to buy $100,000 worth. I'll make so much money on this trade for me and our bank. All I need is $100,000. Well, that is how much I have in my savings account, but that is too rich for my blood. I don't like risks. That's why I put my hundred grand in this savings account. So you can't use my money for your crazy Greek bond scheme. After all, I do listen to the Planet Money podcast. As you should have learned from the Planet Money podcast, <laughs> I actually can use your money. I'm a prop trader at a bank. I can use the bank's deposits to make bets in the market. Well, what if you lose the money? Don't worry about it. The government has your back. Your deposits are insured by the FDIC, even if I lose so many bets that I bring down the bank. And scene. Thank you, 
Jacob, you are a very good sleazy prop trader. Go f*** yourself. <laughs> so, man, Alex, prop trading, it is a joyride. Banks get to take information from their customers, trade on it for easy profits. They get to use money that's backed up by the federal government. So if this strategy fails, the government is on the hook. No wonder Congress wants to outlaw this horrible criminal act. Oh, Adam, if only it were that easy. There is, of course, another side. The whole business of banking is basically taking bets with other people's money. I mean, if the bank takes my money and lends it to someone to buy a house, that is effectively a bet on the housing market and a bet on the guy that the bank is lending the money to. Same goes with loans to build factories. The whole business of banking is making these bets and managing the risk of these bets. And the best way to manage risk is to diversify. Prop trading is just a way to diversify. Some money is lent to mortgage owners. Some is put into Acme Incorporated stock. And most of the time in history, prop traders have made money. They do fairly well, which makes for safer banks, a safer banking system, a safer economy. You have convinced me, Alex. Not only should we not outlaw prop trading, we should celebrate it. We should create National Prop Trading Awareness Day. <laughs> the prop trader shall be the hero of the nation with bronze statues in every roundabout in every city. I think you're joking, right? Yeah, but but it is really, really hard to decide whether prop trading is actually, on balance, a pretty good thing or is it really bad? Does it make our system stronger or weaker? Should it be illegal or should we endorse it? And I talked to a lot of economists yesterday, and most of them were actually pretty ambivalent. They saw real problems with prop trading, but also great benefits. And for anyone who's ambivalent, the latest legislation really is perfect. Because on the one hand, the Senate bill absolutely outlaws prop trading. Here, I'm going to read a passage here. The appropriate federal banking agencies shall prohibit proprietary trading by an insured depository institution and any subsidiary of such institution or company. I made some cuts there, but, but that's the core of that paragraph. Regulators will prohibit prop trading. But then you are forgetting subsection G. Those regulators have to do a study to see if eliminating prop trading will hurt the economic health of the banks. If it does, they will not get rid of prop trading. And also the House needs to reconcile the bill with the Senate. So who knows what actually will be signed into law. You see why this is so perfect for people who really don't know <laughs> what they think about prop trading, whether they're for it against it, because it's a law that either totally outlaws prop trading or does absolutely nothing to change prop trading in any way. So the joyride on Wall Street is over, subject to a comprehensive review by a council of relevant regulatory authorities determining that said joyride is not necessary for the financial health and safety of the United States. Yeah, that is what <laughs> Harry Reid should have said. Is that kind of honesty and precision too much to ask for from our elected representatives? Yes, Adam. It is too much to ask for. I think that does it for us today. Visit us at npr.org slash money, where we will link to uh, an older podcast that we did all about proprietary trading. And make sure to listen to Adam and Hannah's great story about Haiti on this week's This American Life. Hat tip to Daniel Indiviglio at TheAtlantic.com for the take on subsection G. And check out a picture of Rudy Giuliani from a joyride of an earlier age, all at npr.org slash money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. Maybe you want